The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. Hi, welcome to the Startup of You podcast. I'm Ben Kesnoka, entrepreneur, author, and venture capitalist at Village Global. And I'm Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn and host of the Masters of Scale podcast. And this podcast is about learning the secrets of how to have a great career. Because you may not be starting your own company right now, but you are the CEO of at least one startup, you. Hey, Reid. Hey, Ben. So who are you? They let you in off the street somehow? You snuck in? Yeah, I snuck in. You know, it's one of those things where you try to uh, pretend to say, hey, I might work here at this company called LinkedIn. Well, we are here at the LinkedIn New York offices, and this is our very first episode of the Startup View podcast. So welcome to the Startup View podcast. Reid Hoffman, Ben Kaznoka, we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics, which is how to build a career in the modern economy. And it's all premised out of a framework that we developed in a book that came out 10 years ago now, the Startup Review, which just came out in a new edition, fully updated and revised for the post-pandemic economy. And it's all about how you can take the principles of entrepreneurship and apply them to your very own career. So this is a podcast for anybody at any age who wants to build an exceptional high-impact career. We're going to discuss over the course of several episodes a variety of tips, tricks, strategies from Silicon Valley and around the world that you can apply in your career very effectively. Yeah, we're going to have 10 episodes. We're going to go into kind of what are the important things now. It's not just building your network, but how to think about the world, think about how to find opportunities, think about you know, how the people around you form a team that help you both adapt and thrive in these increasingly uncertain and volatile times, and everything from concepts and frames to very practical tips. And we'll also be taking questioners from you, dear listener. So submit your questions, and we'll be answering them, both text and audio, live in the upcoming episodes. So Reed, should we get into it? Let's do it. So our very first episode is going to cover a topic that is very near and dear to, to your heart, especially, which is about networking and networks. It's such an important topic. In fact, it's probably the topic that gets talked about the most in career literature because it is so important. And the truth is that elite professionals, the people who are the most successful go-getters in any field, are really masters at this topic. In fact, I was thinking recently, like if you're an elite professional with an incredible network and you happen to lose your job on a Wednesday, you can probably find another amazing job by Monday the next week just from people in your network. In fact, some of the best people I know who have amazing careers find these opportunities that were never advertised in the first place, like these unadvertised job opportunities that just come to them through their network. So it's an incredibly important topic. Yes. And part of the thing that people kind of have this misconception is they don't realize that it's a very human activity. Mm. It's a question of how you connect to people. It's a question of how you ally with them and how you kind of go through the journey of work and life together. It's not a, oh, look, a Rolodex, for the people who still remember what a Rolodex is, or any of these other things of checking off numbers. Well, I'm glad you say misconception because because it's a topic that's talked about so much, a lot of people think they know a lot about this topic. But as the line goes, it's not the things you know, it's the things you think you know that just ain't so. It actually relates to the whole field of entrepreneurial wisdom applied to careers. A lot of people think they know things about entrepreneurship and startups. You have to take massive amounts of risk or you have to be this solo hero genius. All these stereotypes people have about folks like Steve Jobs and others that just ain't true. So in fact, throughout the course of this podcast, we're going to dismantle a set of misconceptions and try to provide a version of the truth that we think is, is closer to modern reality. Related to these misconceptions about networking, 
Let's start with one misconception that, that you just touched on, Reed, which is you know, people think networking is all about these sort of slimy cocktail party tactics, the old-fashioned handing the business card and adding everyone you know on LinkedIn relentlessly, anyone you meet for five seconds. They think it's all about short-term transactions and not about genuine, real relationships. Well, part of it is that the people who most often describe themselves as networkers are these people like, you know, hi, I'm Reed, can you be my contact? Right, and it's like, well, that's not a human connection. It's like, look, I'd like to use you, not I'd like to be allies with you, I'd like to be partners with you, I'd like to navigate my future work together in your interests and in my interests, but in your interests. When I invite someone to connect on LinkedIn, what I'm really doing is saying, I know you and like you enough and feel allied enough with you, I'm offering the rest of my network as a possibility to help you. Yeah. Right? It's not I am getting something from you, it's I am giving something to you. Now, of course, you're doing that all around, and the hope is that as you all form these teams, your network as a team, that you're all helping each other, and then that's the thing that makes you know, one plus one, ten. And embedded in that view, right, is a very long-term orientation. It's this idea of, hey, we're going to have a relationship that's going to play out over the course of many months and years. Again, in total opposition to this misconception that networking is all about a short-term transaction, right? I'm going to go meet somebody at a cocktail party or add someone on LinkedIn, and a week later they're going to give me a job. Like, that's not how it works, right? No, and particular... Part of the thing is to think about as you're approaching other people, some people this would scan, like how would you want to be approached? But it's also this question of what is the other person and how are you helping them with their goals and their aspirations? Because if you're actually doing that, you're both doing that, then you have a great alliance. You have a great friendship. You have a great partnership. And that's actually what you seek to do. And you should be thinking about like, what's the thing that where we will be connections, allies, friends for decades? It actually, like, it strikes me a different way of saying this misconception is people think networking is a business topic. It's actually a human topic. This is one of the rich, we're talking about building real human relationships. It reminds me, a quote we have in the book is the novelist Jonathan Franzen said, the people most obsessed with authenticity are some of the most inauthentic people. Yes. <laughs> so when we think about this topic, remember, this is about the art of building a human relationship, which is a very deep, almost spiritual topic. And so if you're just living in the realm of business tactics, you're probably missing something. Yeah, one of the funniest conversations I had very very early in the days of LinkedIn, is someone who had clearly read the Dale Carnegie book mm -hmm. was having lunch with me. And part of the advice that Carnegie gives is use the first name to establish connection. So I'm sitting there at lunch and it's like, read, da-da-da, read, da-da-da, read, da-da-da. And after the sixth or seventh instance that I say, so you've read Dale Carnegie, have you? He's like, yes, I have. How did you know? And you're like, well. One nugget in that book that I do like, if I recall, it's something like when you compliment someone, don't say you look good in that suit, but that suit looks good on you. Make it about the substance of the person. So as with everything, just like, you know, we bash the book, What Colors Are Parachute in the Startup View. We'll bash that a little bit more in a later episode. Rest assured, listener and viewer, that being said, as you have noted, there are good things in What Colors Are Parachutes. Yes. Carnegie does have some good ideas, but of course, this is the thing on networking that's so tricky. It's like almost the feeling of it is kind of icky. Like there is something to knowing someone's name and connecting with them in that way, but it's the tactical way that people employ the advice that turns folks off. Think of it as dancing with another human being, not as an object you're manipulating. The point is it's connection and it's how are we doing this together? And like you're inviting them into a dance, not, oh, you're my thing and I'm trying to manipulate it. That's the framework mistake, which is why most other people go, ooh, networking feels a little off. And the word dance is perfect, right? Because it's all about mutuality, yes. right? And I actually think dancing is a fantastic metaphor for life. Like dancing with life is a good way to maybe think about life strategy, but the idea of relationship building as a dance, I think, is fantastic. Okay, let's talk about a second misconception. The first misconception, networking is all about short-term transactional relationships. This is something much deeper, much more humane, and we're going to get into some more details on that. 
Second misconception, some people think networking is either all about having this huge list of contacts and all these short-term, lightweight acquaintances, or they say, no, no, that's what networkers do. What networking's really about is just a small number of deep, close friendships, right? Sometimes these sort of self-styled sophisticates will reject sort of that previous version of conventional wisdom and instead emphasize this more intimate group. And the truth is, it's both. And one of the things I've learned from you over the years, one of your go-to phrases is reject false choices. And this feels like a classic false choice. I either have a ton of weak ties or a few number of strong ties. The reality is you need both. Yes, and they serve different functions. So, you know, as we write about in the book, the friendlies, the weak ties are the way that you have a kind of a broad distributed, almost if you want to use a metaphor, a sensor network that actually can see things because it's so broad that otherwise you wouldn't see. Your allies, your strong ties are the people who will work with you, give you very detailed feedback, help you on various projects, people you can call and say, look, I really need help, you know, kind of brushing up on my pitch or my deck or my resume or something else, and they'll help you with that. And, and they might say, okay, well, let's brief you on this company or let me help you find that information. But the truth is, everyone, you need to have many different types of relationships. Yes. You'll have some close allies, you'll have a lighter list of friendlies. Like there isn't one true configuration. Mm. It'll be dependent upon who you are, what your natural instincts are, where do you find yourself, what industry are you in, and so you You'll have to discover that in a somewhat personal or organic thing. It's a great meta point to emphasize for all of the themes that we're going to talk about in this podcast. I mean, the essence of entrepreneurship is to create something that's uniquely your own, that fits you like a glove. So anytime you're taking advice on careers, know that it's a set of general principles. You will have to apply it. And in fact, it's that very application and customization that makes it an entrepreneurial activity, which is reinforces the central message of this book, which is be entrepreneurial. So that's great. One final misconception we'll just hit at the top. A lot of people think this topic is only relevant for them when they're looking for a new job, right? It's like, I network when I'm looking for a job. In fact, this is a topic that's vital for every professional to internalize and employ every day they're at work. So one of the things that you and I had a conversation many years ago, and I said, I know that LinkedIn's now gonna be successful because people are actually using it extensively, not just for job searching. And the reason is because if you network when you're only looking for something, a job, say, then it's like, oh, here's what you can do for me. And that's the wrong thing. As we mentioned, it's a dance, it's a connection. And so what you really wanna be doing is how am I helping you and how are we helping each other as we're going through? And then that becomes the trampoline that is not only a safety net, but is also how you get to better heights. Well, it's great. I think there's sort of two reasons to be always thinking about this topic. One is to be digging the well before you're thirsty so that when you do have a big career transition, you have an established network that you can turn to. And the second reason, just to make to reiterate your point, is because there's an enormous number of opportunities in day-to-day -day professional life where you can use your network, not to find a new job, but to make a better decision, to navigate a tricky challenge, to do a reference check, et cetera. So this is a set of themes that is just far bigger than finding your next job. As important as that is, yes. there's all sorts of applications in the here and now. Yeah, and also by having those ongoing human connections, those actually, in fact, not just make you much more capable, but when you get to those crisis moments, your team is there and assembled and active and you've got the skills and you've got the muscles and you know how to navigate it. Okay, so let's dig in. You used the word team and I think that's a great transition into talking about some of the key people on the team that is your sort of career network. We call them allies in the book. You know, these are the people who serve as your sounding boards. They're the people to whom you're giving advice, from whom you're seeking advice. You're working on projects together. So we're going to start with allies, and we want you just to reflect on, you know, who are the half dozen people today who you go to for advice, whose counsel you seek, who you'd be excited to work with on a project. 
These are some of the most important nodes in your network. The central characteristic that defines these relationships, at least in part, is that help and value is flowing, right? You're doing stuff together. You're helping them, they're helping you. You're never keeping score, to be sure. This is not a quid pro quo thing, but it's this, this relentless attempt to add value, get value, help each other, deepen a relationship through collaboration. Yeah, and by the way, part of that basis of trust allows you to actually form key alliances, which may even be surprising. So like, for example, very early in my career, just when I was starting LinkedIn, one of the people now close friends or that I was building a connection with Mark Pincus. And you'd say, well, he was doing this thing called Tribe, which is a social network. I was doing LinkedIn, which people also then described as a social network. And it was like, well, but weren't you competing? What happens if there was overlap? So Mark was building Tribe, which yes. was an early social network. Uh, yes. You were building LinkedIn. Yes. So you're saying the two companies were kind of competitive. Well, no, some people would think of them Some as people thought they were competitive. competitive. Yeah. And early entrepreneurship projects, you actually don't ultimately know where these things go. Something may start as a social network, really decide it's going into a professional network, start as a professional network, head in a different direction. Like there's a whole set of different things where it's organic, they flower, they change. So the natural thing is, oh, be protective, don't share techniques, don't share ideas, don't share observations. And the actual fact of the matter is, we shared everything that we would think about. Like, oh, here's what's actually going on in social networking, here's what the key things to do are, here's how people are experiencing them, these are the things that need to happen. And even when, for example, when we were thinking about like, okay, so, well, maybe LinkedIn should be broader and more inclusive of a wider range of conversation. Mark would give me advice on that. When Mark was saying, well, what should be the professional profile on Tribe? I would give him advice on that. Because actually, in fact, what we learned was that being allies and friends, we would both amplify each other in this much broader world. I mean, there's a side note, because both of our day jobs, we were investing in startup entrepreneurs who build traditional companies, not just career entrepreneurs, but people building companies. And you know, advice that I heard you once give an entrepreneur who was paranoid about sharing their business idea was share your idea with anyone who can offer valuable feedback and nobody else. I think this sort of openness to sharing your idea to get feedback is a critical skill in the process of building a startup. In a career sense, there's a similar dynamic. Some people feel like with their friends and allies, they can't be fully transparent about their deepest ambitions and aspirations, their anxieties, the career opportunities they're evaluating. But I think you're making a great point, which is part of what makes it an alliance relationship is a certain openness and a flowing to what you're working on. And even if it's potentially conflicting or your friend's working on a similar sort of idea or has a similar goal in life, working through that together is a hallmark of a great alliance. 100%. And here's part of the way to look at it, which is what's the things that are most important to you, the startup you're working on, your big aspiration, et cetera. If that's not the thing that's front and center, that you're getting advice, reflections, feedback, amplification, modifications of, then you're not working on the most important thing. Yeah. You're not the working on the thing that may be most important to you. So that's what, exactly what you should be doing with your allies. Just to close the loop on the Pincus Alliance, so when did you meet him? How many years ago was this? I think it was 2002, so 20 years. Okay, so it's been a 20-year relationship, and you both have been through a lot. I mean, there's been the whole you know, unfolding of your careers. And I think one of the things that's striking about the relationship is you know, Mark's very different than you in many respects. I mean, Mark, who I also know, is, I would say, more classic Burning Man, very creative. I think we describe him in the book as bouncing off walls with energy. You, by contrast, are a much more disciplined, sort of rigorous thinker in certain respects. And so one of the takeaways from the Read Mark Alliance for me is your allies don't have to be your exact carbon copies, right? And sometimes there's a certain energy that can come from friends and allies who complement you and who can fill you in on ideas that you might have not have naturally conceived. That's 100%. And actually, in fact, exactly the same won't add as much 
to your capabilities is if your superpowers are complementing each other's. Because if you say, look, your superpowers are this, my superpowers are this, and they play well together, it's part of the reason why the network as team, you know, and the allies as team metaphor is, is an important way to do this, and part of the reason why we say in the book, you know, life is a team sport, is that that makes your team all the more powerful. So you do want complementary, so you can play well together, but strength A and strength B. You know, but these relationships, these alliances, take a lot of energy, they take a lot of time, right? You've probably been with Mark hundreds of times. So there's only so many of them you can actually have in your network. And one of the things we articulate in the book is the limits to the number of allies one can have, because I think it can focus the mind a little bit. And we say that most people, of course it depends, most people maintain no more than eight to 10 of these really strong allies, right? So we're not talking about 20, 30, 40 people here. So I think, you know, ideally, early on in your career, you might just have one or two. And I think as your career unfolds, hopefully you can have a half dozen, maybe even closer to 10 people where they're on your speed dial. By the way, we're using a lot of analog metaphors. We have Rolodex, uh, speed dial, it was like, anyway, these are intensive relationships. You can't have a lot of them, but it's great to have at least a few of them and they make a huge difference in your career, as Mark has in yours and me and mine. And I think just to make this final point, because I think it's key about how allies, if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, gosh, well, I want some allies. I want a Mark Pincus in my life. How do I get that? The way you jumpstart any kind of relationship is you try to help the person. And one of the things that I think we've observed as we've talked to all the people who've read this book and think about these ideas is that what often limits sort of mid-level achievers from developing a top-tier network is not actually their mastery of the tactics of networking. It's actually their inability to actually help their peers as their peers' careers unfold. And so this is a little bit more of an, maybe an advanced point related to the allies, but I think it's critical, which is to actually help somebody, you have to have yourself accomplish something, developed a set of knowledge, skills to add value. So when you and Mark have had this 20-year alliance, you know, if you guys work together and have this relationship for the first few years, and then you went off and sat in a beach for 15 years, I don't think you and Mark would have the same kind of relationship, right? It's the fact that you've both grown and he's gone on to create Zynga and all these incredible things and you investing and, and all the philanthropy. And so there's just continued to be this new, new opportunities to help each other. And so that's critical. And I think for a lot of younger people in their career, I notice that they're out there focused a lot on the tactics of networking, but because they haven't actually developed much in the way of accomplishments, they've formed a lightweight relationship, but they can't deepen because they don't know how to add value. Yeah, and one of the other asterisks is too often when people think of networking, it's like, how do I network to the most important person, important mm -hmm. in the air quotes, that I can, versus who's the most talented person I know I'm close to, or who is the most underappreciated person who's really capable, who is not that well-known. Actually, in fact, those are frequently the most valuable people to be building alliances with because you're really helping each other as you begin your careers. I mean, it's a great sort of nuanced point. We address it a little bit in the risk chapter. We talk about the best type of risks are where other people think it's really risky, but in fact, it's underrated yes. as a risk. And I think this notion of underratedness and overratedness is a, our friend Tyler Cowan made it the centerpiece of his podcast. You know, do you think someone's overrated or underrated? But I think this idea of people who are underrated is kind of fascinating. And like, you know, I've always thought that some of the most common attributes of underrated people are people who are frankly terrible at a lot of the startup view concepts, like bad at personal branding, don't stay in touch with a lot of folks, they're not good at communication, like they can often be overlooked in the market, which means that there could be a unique opportunity for you to learn from them, engage from them, have a unique perspective. And by the way, one of the things you can help is help on the startup view topics, because yeah. you're helping them also be stronger and better and faster. So let's just close this discussion of allies with just a couple takeaways for the listeners. So first is, you know, we really want everyone who's listening to think about one person in your network right now with whom you might like to have a stronger alliance. 
and commit today, as you're listening to this, commit to trying to help that person. It can be in a really small way. In the book, we get into your theory of small gifts, and we're not talking about massive world-changing help. It can be as simple as sending them an article that's relevant to them. That can be a way to help and to jumpstart a relationship. So think about one person in your network and, and really commit to trying to help that person. And then the second thing is just as a thought experiment is imagine you got laid off from your job today. Who are the handful of people who you'd email? You know, who are the first people that come to mind for advice on what you might want to do next? That's probably an indicator that those are some of the allies in your network. So reach out to them now before you get laid off or before you're looking for your next opportunity and start strengthening that relationship right now. And so that could be a way to sort of generate a quick list of who's most close to you in your career. Hi, I'm Kwame Christian, CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I have a quick question for you. When was the last time you had a difficult conversation? These conversations happen all the time, and that's exactly why you should listen to Negotiate Anything, the number one negotiation podcast in the world. We produce episodes every single day to help you lead, persuade, and resolve conflicts both at work and at home. So level up your negotiation skills by making Negotiate Anything part of your daily routine. Okay, Reed, let's talk about a different archetype of relationship because we're talking about the five to 10, the Mark Pincus, these close friendships, relationships, allies. Many of us in the modern world can actually maintain hundreds, thousands even of professional connections. In the book, we call them friendlies. Sociologists would call them weak ties. These are kind of the acquaintances. We wouldn't call them full-on friends, but you kind of have a positive association. You've met them a couple times. You trade email. Maybe you've had coffee once or twice. And these can be really valuable people in your network. In particular, you know, the kind of the classic of weak ties is they usually are in, could be other geographic regions, other industries, other technology focused areas. And so they have a really valuable, broader lens. And because part of the reason why I'm saying like you need allies and friendlies is that you want both deep people helping you, but you also want that broader lens of knowing what's going on. Because we live in these more and more volatile and uncertain times. And so like how our industry is changing, how our technology is changing, what might my career look like over the next two years, over the next 10 years, that breadth is very important, and that's why friendlies are very important. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and there was some academic research on this topic some years ago, but I think it still rings true, which is people actually are more likely to discover new job opportunities through a friendly, through a weak tie, than from one of their allies. And to be precise, they hear about the opportunity usually from a friendly. They probably get more advice on how to pursue the opportunity from an ally who knows them. But the reason is that the people you know you best, right, these allies, tend to have very similar information diets as you. So the odds that they will have discovered a new company, a new job posting, whatever, that you haven't already seen is lower. And so these friendlies, and as much as they inhabit a broader diversity of industries, geographies, et cetera, they can really expose you to a whole new stream of opportunities and ideas. Like the, the articles that they send you, you probably haven't already seen. Yes, and by the way, it's, it's frequently what you're looking for when you're really trying to discover interesting moves is what are the things that you see in the future, maybe in local to you, it doesn't have to be the entire world, that other people don't see. And that your friendlies, you know, the collection of different kind of radar, sonar pings can help you discover that. You know, it's also the case that, again, we're talking about the contrasting allies and friendlies. There's so much that's valuable about allies. And of course, if you had to focus your energy anywhere, I think we'd suggest, you know, have a handful of deep relationships, not just for the career benefit, but emotionally, those tend to be more satisfying. But again, another interesting contrast, one challenge with people who know you well is they tend to reinforce your identity 
in potentially problematic ways. And so when you talk to people who are trying to do a complete career reinvention, like they really want to pivot out of one field to another, which is increasingly common in this economy. As we know, we're all going to have to likely reinvent ourselves several times over the course of our careers. Sometimes it's the people that know us well that don't allow us to rethink our identity, right? They themselves have such an ossified view of who you are that it's actually better to get outside of that network and to talk to some of these weaker ties and they will be the ones say, oh yeah, you could totally go into healthcare or you could totally reinvent yourself as an artist. And so there's real value. If you're thinking about a career reinvention, talking to this diverse network can be quite helpful. Yes. You can really maintain a lot of friendlies. And this is where LinkedIn is really the ultimate power tool. Like the way I think about LinkedIn is it's useful for allies, but the ally relationships really happen in, a, in an offline context. It's phone calls, it's meetings, it's one-on-one -on -one emails. I think LinkedIn's power to me as a, just a user, a plain user, comes to life with all these friendlies. It's all these people where I meet them a couple times, but then I see, hey, they got a new job, I can send them a congratulations note on LinkedIn. The short answer, just like our book, is it's both, right? So the one hand, you know, you have a thousand connections on LinkedIn and you have a whole bunch of friendlies because you don't have a thousand deep allies. But on the other hand, even with your deep allies, like part of, for example, what you know, I will encourage people to do, like a person is trying to solve a problem and they go do the search on LinkedIn and they say, oh, you know this guy, Ben Kasnocha, would he be good to talk to about this? Yeah, 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 <laughs> right? yeah. And then it was like, oh yeah, yeah no, he's actually uh, deeply expert about the network of what's going on in emerging tech around the world. You know, that's all of what Village is doing. So yes, you should go talk to him about this, right? But by the way, them having done the search, having thought about it, and coming to me makes it much easier for me to be helpful. If we geek out on like LinkedIn best practices for a second, I think this is the most fundamental thing, like, which is, I think it's a setting on LinkedIn that you can allow people to view who you're connected to. So not everyone has a setting turned on. I think you should keep it turned on in my view, because this is one of the best ways to use your network, which is like anytime someone tells me, hey, I'm looking for a job, I will tell them, go on to my LinkedIn profile, see who I'm connected to, then send me a note and ask like if I can make intros to those five people and I'll say yes or no and I can do that. But you can see my network. This is the beauty of the transparent network. Like rather than asking the blue sky question of, hey, do you know anybody that might want to hire a software engineer? I'm like, I don't even know where to begin with that question. So go see who I'm connected to. And then you can have a personalized follow-up and say, hey, I saw you're connected to someone at Nike. My dream job has always been to do social responsibility work there. Can you introduce me to your friend, John Doe, who works there? And so that's a great way of using the LinkedIn network to interface with anyone in your network. And exactly as you say, not only is it a way that your friend, your ally can help you, but also you're likely to get much better results. Yeah. As opposed to, like, well, the software engineering company I happen to be thinking of right now is X, whereas you might be really interested in Nike and I might have said, oh, Oracle. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and we've just sort of stumbled upon a, an essential tactical skill, which we might not have time to get into here, but about how to ask for introductions and receive introductions. I mean, helping somebody through making an introduction is sort of an essential currency of this topic. And letting yourself, Ben Franklin once said, you know, the best way to make a friend is to let yourself be helped. Letting yourself be helped by asking for and receiving an introduction from somebody in your network is an essential activity. I mean, if you're not asking for, making intros, receiving intros on some regular cadence throughout the year, you're probably not living a network life and sort of flexing and strengthening your network. And you can ask for intros and make intros to friendlies. One thing people sometimes, I think, misunderstand here is, especially if it's like around job searching, they think it's a huge imposition or asking for a favor. Like if, you know, we have a portfolio company that is growing and hiring, and I meet some candidate who I know is great and is looking for a job, it's actually no imposition. I actually want to do that intro. It's like, wait, you mean I can make an intro between this company and you? Like that's, that's a win for all involved. I want to do that. And so ask for the intro, like see who I'm connected to. To, that allows me to add value. 
brokering introductions with your friend lanes is a key skill. And as you know, one of the internal cross-checks I have when I introduce two people is would those two people thank me for the introduction, even if no business, nothing else happens? Yeah. Right, yeah. they'll go, yeah, that was great, thank you. And that's an internal question I have. Like, call it 95, 98% plus of all introductions I make, pass that. Okay, let's get into some real in the weeds again. This might yeah. be in the DVD extras. <laughs> Do you double opt-in intros on all the intros you make, or were you blind intro, given your level of, you know? Uh, I uh, will <laughs> blind intro when I am quite certain of it, and no. So it's like, oh, Actually, in fact, this is a really interesting person who's doing some really interesting thing in Web3. I know them personally. Yeah. They want to talk to you. I'll just introduce because I know you'll be interested yeah, given yeah. what you're doing at Village and yeah, all the rest. Yeah, yeah. If it's like, well, you know, asking for some advice on a book, an author thing might be something interesting to you. Like, yeah. Then I will send a note saying, hey, here's why I think this could be really interesting to you, right. why it might be worth your time. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd say, most often I'm right, but sometimes like, no, no, I'm really busy right now. It's just, yeah, it's yeah, like, and then yeah. it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, as opposed to putting the burden of saying you're really busy on it, I'd say, oh, unfortunately, you know, Ben's really busy, but maybe this is other person right, who right, might right. be the right person to talk to. So we'll, we'll post some links in the show notes about how to ask four intros and sort of do that double opt-in processing. Generally speaking, you want to, do by double opt-in, what, what I'm referring to is asking both sides if they want the introduction before doing the introduction. Another sort of super nitty comment, but I'm genuinely curious, do you have a view, read on, do you like to be moved to BCC after that intro is made, or do you actually like to stay on the chain just to see how the intro played out? Well, frankly, I'm comfortable both ways. These we're talking about some of the most important <laughs> topics. <laughs> right exactly. exactly. But I'm curious because sometimes I'm like, I kind of want to stay on the thread and see how it plays out. Like, I appreciate the inbox consideration, but like, you know, did you guys get the call scheduled? You know, you know, the way you make the judgment is, I'm used to having a very thorough inbox. I read information a lot. Yeah. I generally am fine with a whole bunch of things being on it. So I tell people, don't worry about editing my inbox. And so, therefore, if you're going to have an interesting discussion thread, I'd love to see it. But on the other hand, of course, your discussion thread might be the, hey, are you free for oh lunch God, on yes. Tuesday? <laughs> it's the you know, it's like, 10 okay, back and yeah. forth. It's like, well, no, just go do that. <laughs> but no, I think it does raise the important point of like, if you've asked for an intro to some somebody and you had a good interaction, circle back with the person who made the intro and let them know that the coffee conversation happened and it was good. Like that's sort of the closed loop relationship yes. building process. That's key. Because by the way, that's another thing about human networks and connection. Light shows of appreciation are super valuable. Everybody likes it. Everyone likes to go, ah, I made a difference. Like our dance together is working. Yeah, totally. And anyone who tells you that they are immune to the power of compliment is lying to you. Like it's amazing to me. There's a sort of level, people like to sometimes posture like, I'm purely intrinsically motivated. Like external does nothing for me. Like there's certainly gradations in that. Some people are more or less extrinsically, intrinsically motivated, but everyone appreciates hearing a nice thing said about them, right? And so if someone did a favor for you or made an intro, Thank them. Yeah, it's a simple gesture. Yeah. The other parallel that I always find entertaining there is the people who say, I have no ego. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost for sure if someone says, I have no ego, they have an ego. Well, be careful with that word because from the retreat I was just on, the ego concept's a deep, deep Buddhist concept. Yes, of um, course. Layers to the word ego. <laughs> But yes, everyone has an ego unless we're talking in Buddhist terms. One last thing just on staying in touch. One of the things we talked about in the book is like, this is a great example where a lot of people right now listening, it's probably nodding saying, yeah, yeah, definitely I'm going to get on this. Building your network, like they've only been told this like 10,000 times. And so I'm fascinated by the knowing doing gap, right? You see this in like any personal development goal that people have, well, they'll state an intention, but they will not follow through. Like they kind of know that they should do it, but they, for whatever reason, can't develop the habit. And that's why in the last 10 years, one of the biggest you know, categories of books that have sold well are these habit books because people realize, shit, I've been saying for 10 years that I want to go to the gym, eat vegetarian, meditate, build my network, and they just aren't doing it. 
And so one of the stories we tell in the book that I think is so fun is a guy named Steve Garrity, who's an entrepreneur who had this issue. He's like, I know I should be building my network. I'm just not doing it. And so he created this thing he called the Interesting People Fund, where he set aside money every single month, small dollars, which just, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, and put it into a separate bank account that was solely devoted to taking people out to coffee. Because <laughs> he knew that just by having that money pre-allocated, it would allow him to be more comfortable spending money to grow his network. And, and he tells a great story of after moving from the Bay Area to Seattle to take a job at Microsoft, there was this great opportunity to reconnect with an old professor of his in the Bay Area. Usually, you know, you move to Seattle, gosh, is it worth buying a flight down to the Bay Area just to see, have dinner with 12 people? Is that really worth it? But he had you know, 300 bucks set aside in his interesting people fund that he could draw upon. So it's just such an interesting, like practical hack. If you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I know this is important, I'm just not spending the time and energy. You have to develop a strategy for behavior change. And it could be as simple as an interesting people fund or something much deeper related to your inner motivations and schedule. And anything in that kind of habit foundation and nudge to action, like just look at your calendar the next six weeks and book appointments. Yeah. Any number of things can make it very easy. Your calendar doesn't lie. Okay, Reed, let's shift and take some questions from listeners. So this has been a fantastic discussion on the importance of networks the misconceptions and the allies, friendlies. We do have some questions from some early listeners and followers on LinkedIn. So we're gonna go through a few of them and we can do this rapid fire, we can take our time with them. Let's start with this question first, because I think it's a common one, which is, I know growing my network is really important for my career and I want to lean into doing it, but I'm shy and I often feel awkward when meeting new people in person, I'm kind of introverted. So how do I build my network while still respecting my innate tendencies in social situations? Well, the key thing is to figure out how it is you genuinely and authentically connect with other people. And that will be different, even for shy and introverted people, that's still too macro of a category. Maybe it's shared activities, like you're doing sports together, you're playing games together. Maybe it's through, hey, I'm gonna invite you out to coffee, and I will prep the agenda a little bit. I'll say, hey, I wanted to talk to you about coffee because there's this funky thing going on with Web3 and NFTs, and I was really curious what you would say about that, mm -hmm. <laughs> right, as part of doing it. So it's figure out what's the personal view for you and what the thing is, and by the way, some of that might be which people, and like another one is to be experimental about it. Like, just try it. Like say, oh, I'm not really sure I could invite someone out for coffee. Well, who would be the person? If you're gonna invite one person out for coffee, who yeah. would the person be, how to do it, what's the easiest thing? And they go, oh, maybe that actually works pretty well. It's great advice, and I do have a lot of compassion for the question. You know, when I started my first company as a teenager, I remember people told me, you gotta go network, build your network. And so I went to a networking event in San Francisco, and all these people were standing around at these tall tables chatting, and I kind of froze, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like go and interrupt somebody and talk to them? And so I, I remember going into the bathroom and locking myself in the stall until the speaker began and the networking reception was over. And then I reemerged and was like, okay, this is a safe space. I know what to do. You sit in a chair and you listen to the speaker and then I just left. So it's totally normal to feel nervous, to have anxiety around this. And it is a skill that can be learned. But to your point, Reed, be you. Like not everyone has to be life of the party, Mr. and Miss Extrovert. And I think one of the pieces of advice that I sometimes give people when they're doing a formal presentation is I say, know what, how you're going to open and know how you're going to close. Have some lines in your head that you've just sort of memorized. It could be one or two sentences, but sometimes the anxiety I find melts away once you're sort of in the flow of a conversation. But it's like for me at the tall table, people standing around at the event, we've all been there. I learned just to say the phrase, ultra-tactical, but like, can I join the conversation? Or, hey, am I interrupting? Like, just knowing that that's a phrase to use that is like professional and people respect, oh, sure, come join us. That's all you need. And just knowing that's the phrase can kind of release your nerves and then you can just be yourself. Yeah, and by the way, 
People are there because they're planning on talking to people. And they're probably nervous themselves too. Like, you know, we all have some degree of imposter syndrome, this idea of everyone knows exactly what to say and they're all so fluid and I'm the one who's nervous. That just ain't so. Okay, another question. I moved around in my career a lot during my 20s, trying different jobs and industries. That left me with some really close friends who are great advisors, but I'm now in a new industry and my network's really small. And all of my colleagues and people in the industry all seem to know each other already. So how do I grow my network in a brand new industry where I don't have you know, any existing credibility? Well, this is precisely what you know, kind of our chapters on this in the Startup View are about, which is you know, be human and intentional. People would appreciate even to say, hey, I not just this company, but this industry, and I'd really appreciate if I could grab a coffee with you or talk a little bit about it and come up to speed about like, what's important and so forth, because people like to feel appreciated, like to feel that they're knowledgeable and so forth. Not everyone will say yes, mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes people are really busy, sometimes other things, but if they, they go, okay, yes, even that can be a way to do it. It's a great point. I mean, I think it's also the fact that you have different industry experience could make you a more interesting person, going back to the discussion of interest. If you're an industry insider talking to another industry insider, you're really just doing this comparison test on who knows more, and the bar is pretty high, right? Am I gonna teach right. you something more? Like, if someone met you and said, Reed, I'm gonna teach you about venture capital. It's a pretty high bar, right? Yes. If they came to you and said, I'm gonna teach you about this new theory of physics that's super emergent that you might not have heard of, you're like, tell me more, right? Exactly. But of course, it presumes a curious person on the other yes. side, but if, if you're talking to someone who's curious, actually the fact that you came from a different background can be really compelling. Another question, should I try to network with people more successful than me? Like, should someone be reaching out to you, Reed, if they wanna break into venture capital, or break into entrepreneurship? Should they be trying to get an introduction to Reed Hoffman and get it on your calendar? Or if they're just out of college, should they be trying to connect with you know, someone who ran the entrepreneurship club at their university? So generally speaking, the principle is you should connect to the people who are most useful that are well connected to you within your network. Now, sometimes that might be a very successful person because like say, for example, you know someone who knows a really successful VC who is a strong ally in both directions and a trusted referral can make that reference. And then that can be great. That's a great thing to do. The cold call of, hey, you're a really successful VC and I'd love to spend time with you. What you don't realize is successful VCs get X of those per day, right? And it's just like, oh, I'm exhausted. So the more typical, more numeric case is to say, well, who are people who would be super talented or knowledgeable that are a good fit? I remember when we used to work more closely together, you get emails all the time, Hey Reed, I'm you know 23 years old. I live in Chicago. I'm thinking about starting a company. Do you want to get coffee? It's like, why do you think that, that email is going to be successful? That being said, I do believe that anybody can get on anybody's calendar. If somebody out there listening wants to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Joe Biden, I believe that's possible. Everybody in the world is reachable if you work hard at it and you work a network and you're thoughtful and you're persistent. That doesn't mean it's a good use of time or high ROI to reach out just to the most powerful person in whatever industry you're thinking about. So generally speaking, I think the best advice is to incline towards peers, to build a relationship with people who can be your compatriots as your career unfolds. It's great to find a mentor. That person doesn't have to be the most famous person in the industry, doesn't have to be the most important lawyer, doesn't have to be the person who started the firm. Almost anybody with incrementally more experience and wisdom than you could be helpful to you. And, yes. and so don't be overly obsessed with status in that no. way. And well, actually, that usually will be a more failure point because what you're looking for is an interesting, talented person who has information that wants to have a conversation with you or yeah. wants to interact with you or help you in this way. And it's critical while we're here, we should remember, let's go back to the previous point we made, you always want to be trying to help people you meet. And a lot of yeah. times I think a failure case among young people building the network is they think, how could I possibly help 
Mr. and Miss really important lawyer at Wilson Senior, how could I possibly help Bill Gates? If I meet Bill Gates, I'm just gonna ask him for help. It's a failure of imagination. Like, what could I ever do to help Bill Gates? What, would I write a check to the Gates Foundation? I don't think your $5 donation is gonna move the needle on the Gates Foundation. You have to be creative, right? Think about what are ways that you could help somebody who has had more success than you, who might have more money than you, might more power than you. And frequently, the best way to help is through information through an article, an insight, a trend. So like if I meet a college kid who's thinking about their career, I'll often say when you meet with older folks in the industry, talk to them about key trends that are happening on college campuses. We all know that today's trends on college campuses are tomorrow's mainstream cultural memes. So everyone's interested in learning about what's happening on campus. So boil that down into a couple key nuggets and share those nuggets. Never forget that you should always try to be helping someone you're working with, talking to. Yep, exactly. And part of that is to say, in that information, what you can share. Like, take the Bill Gates example. You know, Bill is actually super motivated to do stuff about climate and pandemic. Say you're a college student. It's like, well, here's the things that I'm seeing as trends within my college. That's actually something that's super interesting to him. It's a lens he doesn't have and is useful yeah. for figuring out the future. Even those kind of things, even all the way back to interestingness, can be helpful. Yeah, so if you're taking someone out to coffee, have in mind, or it could be a Zoom meeting, et cetera. Coffee might be another analog example of English. Think about a couple areas where you feel like you could help that person and a couple areas where you might want to seek help and get help, right? Go in with that preparation. If you just go in with a one-way interrogation session, that's not the basis for a long-term relationship. And similarly, if you go into the meeting and just try to lecture the person and give them advice that they never asked for, that also won't really work uh, super well. Thanks for listening to the Startup You podcast. That's a wrap for today. If you have questions that you want us to answer on the next episode, leave a question, leave a comment on the LinkedIn page associated with the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to engage with you and include you in another episode of the podcast. Ben, thank you. And thanks for our listeners. If you enjoyed the Startup of You podcast, please remember to rate and review us on whatever listening app you love. Join us next week as we continue talking about how to craft a remarkable career in the 21st century. Special final thanks to Jesse Hempel, Michael Nussbaum, and Dan Roth at LinkedIn. Our editor and executive producer is Aaron Schulman. Audio production by Palm Tree Island.